Yes, you're wrong. The podcast where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love, and we're your hosts, Shelby and Matt. Woohoo! <laughs> Isn't that what she says on the boat? <laughs> She's like, woohoo! I with her little gonna, glass. I thought you were gonna try and like mimic the music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I freaking love the music and the white lotus, but I wouldn't dare. I could. Um, I my favorite line is um. <laughs> Is where the is where the bell <laughs> the hotel guy says 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 I and I think the dad in the suites wanted asked me to um well f him up the ass <laughs> and then, and then and then and then Belinda goes really <laughs> the way that she says it I I watch it like three times I was laughing so much she gives this look like you're insane. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about this show. It was kind of a a surprise hit, like a charming distraction and a thoughtful <laughs> experience altogether. I really, I enjoyed it and I'm glad everyone else seemed to too. And this, I feel like, yeah, like you said, was a sleeper hit. Yeah. I was with my friend a couple of weeks ago and we walked by like, um, there was a, like a poster uh, on a bus stop and the show hadn't come out yet at that point. Mm. And I was, and I had not heard a thing about it. And I feel like HBO shows you usually yeah. do. And so it was Jennifer Coolidge at, on this beach or whatever. And it sort of looked murder mystery. And I was like, wow, this looks like something I would definitely watch, but I have not heard anything about it. So I bet it's really bad. <laughs> and then, yeah, I just, it took off and pretty soon it was the show that everybody was talking about. I feel like this is the show of, you know, the last couple of weeks is this. <laughs> yeah, the last couple of weeks. Is that how we grade shows? I mean, I feel like it was a big deal for 2021 as a whole, right? Yeah, it's oh, like no, a... definitely. But like, there's nothing else on. Yeah, I feel like yeah. the only yeah. thing that people were talking about was White Lotus, I guess, or and Manifest. maybe the new Gossip yeah. Girl. <laughs> yeah. Manifest? Yeah. Yeah, because are was... you still watching that? Oh no, no, no! But everyone is watch. Everyone started watching it around the same time because it was put on Netflix, and oh, then it was okay. simultaneously canceled. And then there was this whole movement to re <laughs> to reinstate it on Netflix itself. And my parents started watching it. And we're like, "Have you seen <laughs> Show Manifest?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's trash." And they're like, "Oh, we like it." <laughs> but then I told them to watch White Lotus instead, and um. They were confused by that. So I, I wonder the audience for the White Lotus in particular. But um, yeah, it was sort of, I had heard about it because it was an, like I saw a headline or like a tweet that it was like, this was, the HBO needed something that they could film in quarantine. So they just came up with that. And it didn't sound like that was the best selling point, right? Like it was like, oh. Like, you know, are we doing a love in the time of COVID situation? Right. Again? Mm -hmm. And so I waited a couple episodes before I was, I heard like my sister liked it and a friend liked it. And I was like, oh, okay. And it wasn't like clear if it was a drama or, or something like a murder mystery, like you said. And so when it turned out to be funny, I was like, oh, 
<laughs> well, this is a change of pace. Like, you know, we just came out of Mayor of Easttown and everything's on fire and the world is just <laughs> a sad, sad place. So I appreciated that there was somewhere where I could feel energized again. <laughs> but I mean, it is a... It's a weird show because it is a comedy in that there are funny parts, but then you get to the end and it is like, ultimately, I feel like a very bleak, dark, depressing (laughs) show. And also you have the opening scene is that somebody is die has died yeah. and the body is going on the airplane and so i think you initially because the husband is the one in the scene you think oh it's probably the wife but then as the show is going on it's just this question of like we never get another mention of this body but you know this that somebody's dying at some point so you're yeah. getting into these last episodes and it is like a murder mystery even though that's not really the format of the show just because you know that there's a dead person coming down the pipeline (laughs) so were you like distract like conscious of that thread the whole way through because i sort of i missed that scene in the beginning (laughs) because i was like cooking dinner or something so i just came and they were getting on the island and i was like oh this is so fun and then like a couple episodes in rob was like i wonder who's gonna die and i was like it doesn't no it doesn't have to be dramatic like that Mm -hmm. like i was offended that he thought it needed that and then it turns out no that's the frame story so I feel like that allowed me to kind of forget about that for pretty much 90% of the show. And then at the end, I was like, oh, yeah, I wonder who it's going to be. Because it didn't seem like, yeah, like you said, it's a weird show. And it's hard to say like, oh, it didn't matter because, of course, it ended up being the most <laughs> important thing. And like the 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 thesis statement coming together and the final conclusion um, to all the themes and everything we'd been seeing throughout the last throughout the six episodes so I felt like it was a really refreshing take on the dead body shtick because usually you get broad church you get your whodunit murder mystery heavy on the twist sort of situation but this was really at the heart of it just like a character study of very wealthy rotten people (laughs) well because the show wasn't about them the murder or the death that didn't really play in until the very end. Like you knew it was happening. So I thought, think that there was like this sort of ominous fun mm-hmm. element to it, but it wasn't focused on that. It was yeah. focused on these relationships and the wealth disparity and sort of these interesting characters. And yeah, I didn't necessarily find it distracting the murder mystery plotline, except for the fact that in the last two episodes, I was like, there was really like this could be anybody like we have no clues as to who is going to die or why or in what way and nobody was really like presenting themselves i felt like as an obvious candidate (laughs) you know like it really uh, once you got to the final episode and there and somebody and they brought up the oh we have this knife in the hotel room then i was like okay well that's like that's clearly what's happening because there's (laughs) nothing else that has been brought up in that way. But I still had had no idea who it was going to be until the like final moments. Yeah. No, it was a good show. I mean, it's, it's like certified fresh. I think it's at like 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Critics love it. Twitter loves it. Everyone's talking about the performances, the gorgeous vistas, the wild music, the, um, I don't know. It's just a fun show to watch with people. It was a fun show to sort of dissect each episode. And it reminded me a lot of HBO's 
succession but like the shinier side (laughs) because succession is like very popular because people like watching these selfish irredeemable people just be absolutely evil and insane and it's just like there's nothing redeemable about anyone in that universe and that's always been like kind of a downer for me but this one you have a similar sort of look at privilege and what money can buy you and how people aren't necessarily always self-aware about the ways they wield it but it has these characters who are kind of like evil but then there are kind of hints of good and loads of privilege in between and it's like you don't know who you're rooting for but then you kind of feel for everyone at some moment in the show and it all just became like sort of a fun examination of the society within we all operate. It really reminded me a lot of I May Destroy You in a lot of ways. Because oh, I feel like that is a similar, it it does a similar job of sort of saying like, oh, well, like, uh, of complicating all of the issues of saying like, oh, well, you like this person. Well, but they're actually like, they're good in this way, but they're bad in this way, but they're complicated. It was, that's also a show that, like there's sort of a plot, but it's mostly just like a character study of this of this friend group. Yeah. And I felt like this had a similar kind of energy to it in the way that it kept turning it things on its head and twisting around. And yeah, I think that show, most of the characters are like good at heart. And then yeah. they're sort of like bad in certain ways where I think in this it's like most of them are probably bad but like have good (laughs) moments and then in succession they're just all bad all the time so it is like a spectrum of the HBO shows but yes it was funny when I googled like White Lotus to get some notes and stuff the there was like a suggested like people also ask and the number one was what was the point of White Lotus yes well I saw. I think we're used to being fed narrative stories with the beginning, middle, end, and this is much more character. But also, I felt like White Lotus, at least to me, like I finished watching it and I was like, I know exactly what he was trying to say with this. I know exactly how he did it. It was masterful. It makes so much sense. The themes, like everything just ties together so nicely. And then I got online and I saw all of these articles and people of like, so you hated the ending of White Lotus, like blah, 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 or you didn't like it. And I was like, how could you not love this show? <laughs> like this wasn't a this wasn't like a weird, ambiguous, strange ending that you right. were like, what does this mean? It was like this was so pointed in its like rapping mm-hmm. that you get to the end and it's like, yes, this is exactly the point. And this is the point that it was always headed to. The fact that you thought that it could be anywhere else is crazy once Drag you finally see them. the end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was like, how could you not like this? This is the best thing. <laughs> and how can you not understand what it means? Coming it's to all you about soon. capitalism. 27 tweets that made me lose faith in humanity on BuzzFeed next week. I know. Um, <laughs> No, I agree. It's sort of like it, it felt like not not elementary in a bad way, but it was very straightforward in what it was trying to say. It, it, but I think the issue was that the devil was in the details. Like it was in every little tiny interaction instead of big narrative moments. And so if you're watching it to be like, I don't know, 
like have your hand held through some sweeping saga, it's a little bit like, oh, well, wait. But it, the good guy didn't win. Like, what's that about? <laughs> but it was, but it was in like big moments too. Because so basically, for anyone who hasn't seen the show, the the premise is there's this hotel in Hawaii called the White Lotus. It's very expensive, very uh, fancy, and so we get these the most sort of, romantic in the island. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we get these like three sort of groups of mm-hmm. wealthy people who are coming to stay there. There's a family, there's a recently married couple, and then there's sort of um, an older like single lady played by Jennifer Coolidge who's there to like spread her mother's ashes. <laughs> so we have these three rich groups and then each of those groups is sort of encountered by a lower class person who is either like in their party or works at the hotel or something. And so we, for the most of the show, there's this kind of struggle between these rich people who are bad and these poorer people who you kind of see are like trying to do good things or are the good people. And you think that, oh, maybe the poorer lower class good people are going to get one over on these rich people but Mm -hmm. in the end the whole point of the show is that no like when you have wealth when you have power when you are in this like capitalistic structure and everything is sort of like built for you even when things go wrong they end up going right for you in the end Mm -hmm. and all of these little people just sort of get eaten up even to the point where they are like thankful to be welcomed back into a a place of lower status by the people who they were trying to screw over. So it's, (laughs) it's like at the end, there's been all of this struggle and really it's just the poor people who come out worse and the rich people who come out just the same as they got there. And I think that's the whole narrative arc of the show. And that's what happens in the person who dies. That's what happens with, um, the sort of like robbery, the hotel robbery with the family, like the big moments all play mm-hmm. into that. So maybe it's just that I'm an English major and you're an English major and like we can <laughs> yeah, pick up these like themes. But I was like, I don't think this was that difficult to yeah. figure out what was happening. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think there's a lot of wonderful think pieces out there that break down the the class themes, the wealth themes, the, yeah, the hierarchies, like all of it is really mesmerizing to read even after finishing the show because it's just so fun to break down every yeah like you said every major story arc and every tiny detail and how it all just like came together in really interesting ways that were funny and sad and too real to watch like even the first episode when you have um I had the list of all the characters the no, Jennifer Coolidge's character, Tanya. Oh, yeah. Tanya comes into the island. Mc, she's McQuad, like... McQuad. <laughs> McQuad. And she's like, I need, a, I need a, a massage. Like, please, can you figure it out? And it's not like a question of can you. It's like, how are you going to pencil me in? Like, please. Like, there's just this... It just reminded me immediately of like wealthy people I've worked for where it's never like a question of if something's going to happen for you. It's just like you're being polite so they figure out how to do it as quickly as possible. And I think you start to see the characters very quickly and the different levels of obviously power, but also 
the way they exercise it and try to differentiate themselves as if that makes them better than someone else who's also in a similar position. But it's all just like, ah, it's just delicious the way, you know, even the books they're reading, the the things they're wearing, the conversations they have, like it's all just so mesmerizing to watch. And it feels so true to life, even with someone who hasn't been able to, you know, even come close to witnessing this level of wealth. Um, It's just something that you see in all, (laughs) every class system in America, basically. Well, and it's so interesting. Yeah. Like you said, to watch these people who are wealthy and hyper privileged all sort of come up with mental ways to make it seem like Mm -hmm. that they're actually not that privileged, that they're not that picky, that they're actually better than most people and that (laughs) they're doing like good things. And they're, you know, looking out for the lower class, even as they are like slowly devouring them scene by scene in the show. Um, Let's do the, let's do the characters then. I mean, we started with Tanya, so I guess we can go down that path with her. (laughs) Yeah, so she's, like I said, this, like, wealthy heiress. I don't know if we ever really realize, like, how she gets her money. Yeah. But but her mother has died. Her mother was, uh, you know, and it seems like both of her parents were, like, sort of psychologically abusive. But now she has all this money. She has no friends. She has, she just, like, wants to be loved, but she can't find that. And she ha- goes to the White Lotus to spread her Grant or her mother's ashes. She gets a massage by this massage worker named Belinda, who is very sweet mm-hmm. and initially like immediately takes a liking to her because she feels special in this spa moment. And it's like, Belinda, like I want to give you money. I want you to start your own business. And so of course, Belinda gets her hopes up and sort of like comes up with this business plan. And then the last part of the season, you're just slowly watching as you realize like Jennifer Coolidge probably does this to all kinds of people (laughs) where she latches onto them and then sort of, um, you know, moves on to whoever the next person is because of her strange attachment style. And so she ends up, you know, leaving Belinda like sort of out to dry. But it's, yeah, it's like fascinating because Jennifer Coolidge, I think, is like she's sort of made fun of in the show by some of the other rich characters. So you think of her as sympathetic in some Mm -hmm. of the early episodes and then you slowly kind of realize like oh no she's actually just as bad as some of the others she's just more sort of like negligent in her badness where she's maybe not malicious but her messiness and the fact that she is so wealthy lets her kind of do whatever she wants and leaves this wake of chaos behind her (laughs) that she doesn't have to think about yeah no i i think she was a really interesting character study because when we think of like uber rich, we think of Jeffrey Bezos and like these callous, cruel seeming guys who you wouldn't want to hang out at a bar with. But Jennifer Coolidge plays this character with such like innocence and wonder and, and really emotional depth. Like you can tell she's damaged and you feel for that and you, you want her to feel better and to feel secure. And she has these great one liners that are hilarious and watching her, give these speeches about about her childhood, about her failed relationships. It's really compelling. But then you realize like the thing about wealth and like exploitation doesn't always look like cruelty, right? Like it's not always going to be this ugly, abusive structure. It can just be 
a nice lady who's like, um, yeah, I'm sorry. That's not going to work for me. And just like not understanding or respecting the emotional impact you can so flippantly have on someone because of a choice that doesn't actually matter to you. Mm -hmm. It was, it was cruel. It was really sad. And Belinda (laughs) is the only, the only good person (laughs) in this show. The only truly pure person I'd argue who's just a victim of these structures. And so it's important that she is a black woman, a service worker, and one of the few characters of color in the show. And, um, and she's also played brilliantly and has these really human moments where you can see the rise and fall of hope and how crushing it is when you believe a system will finally work for you and you'll get your dues only to realize like, oh, wow, yeah, no, that didn't, that didn't go the way I thought it would. Even though well, it didn't it, go exactly how you thought it would. <laughs> it's interesting because really like all of the, all of the like wealthy characters are all straight white people and mm-hmm. all of the people who are of any kind of minorities are the ones who are getting like bulldozed yeah. in the situations. Yeah. I mean, I think that was what was so, I mean, I guess we can go through the general stories and then talk about the finale as a whole. Cause <laughs> Belinda's Belinda's whole thing is part of the, the final shot that gives the, the, the punch at the end. Um, but I do think, yeah, as you watch the relationship with Tanya and Belinda sort of expand, I just like the thing about the show that I think is so interesting is that there is this anxiety element to it. That's sort of fueled by the music, which is this really hyper kind of, I don't even know what style, (laughs) but there's always this constant energy and movement and you're rushing through hallways. You're, you're looking down like gorgeous beaches and yet there's this energy there that feels like a tension um that's almost tangible and on top of that you know that things will go bad because (laughs) things do go bad and the only people who aren't aware of that universal truth are the rich people and the wealthy people and the powerful people Mm -hmm. who never have to worry about how bad things affect them Mm -hmm. yes i loved it so then the second plot line is the um, engaged or the married couple. Um, <laughs> yeah. What are their names? It's Jake Lacey and Alexander Dario. Are it's the Rachel actuals. and I want to say like Shane, but I don't know if I'm making that up. So they are, so they're recently yeah, married. Shane. He is from like a very, very wealthy background and is coddled by his mother. Who's played by Molly Shannon. She is like a, Uh, like a journalist, but sort of like a pop journalist, sort of like she talks (laughs) about this art for BuzzFeed. Yeah. Like she's like, might work for BuzzFeed. Um, And uh, she like is realizing on this vacation that her husband is kind of a dick that the world that he, that he's used to this like super wealthy world. And that he basically just wants her to be a trophy wife and that she doesn't really want to be a trophy wife. She has like other aspirations aside from that. And so the whole vacation is her like slowly realizing that she wants to leave him and crying a lot while he (laughs) continues to be oblivious because there's a side plot where he was given the wrong hotel room by the hotel manager. (laughs) 
And so him and the hotel manager are kind of like in this battle of wits back and forth with each other where he keeps trying to get things from the hotel manager and the hotel manager keeps trying to deny him those, yeah. uh, the things that he's asking for. Um, so that's the second plot. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> equally, it's equally depressing. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because, I mean... On one hand, I feel like, and maybe this is just me, but at first you can identify. It's like, oh, wait, this isn't what I paid for. And don't I deserve what I paid for? And there's sort of yes. this entitlement that comes up where you're like, no, you are you are serving me. Ergo, you must do anything I say to make me happy. And that's sort of an issue of capitalism at large. But then you watch him obsess over this because he's never been told no before because he's always gotten his own way and so when he comes up against something that's like even just in you know subtly inconveniencing him he's like wait I can't think about anything else and I think the genius of his character is that he's not like an he's not like an asshole to her he's not like callous and cruel to the people he cares about he's not necessarily a bad abusive figure or someone that you couldn't imagine having a good time at dinner with like he seems very pleasant talking to the other guests he's nice to his mom he's like you know obviously in love with Rachel in whatever way he cares about which seems to be very fueled by how pretty hot she is and Mm -hmm. how much he likes to bang her (laughs) but that's what's so compelling about his storyline is that it's like oh still that this he can he is what would be considered a good guy but even so his character is colored and marred by his closeness to wealth and privilege and the social climbing the social status that he was born into and so the fact that he can't take his blinders off for one minute and just allow himself to enjoy this gorgeous room with his gorgeous wife with this gorgeous view is really really interesting to watch and he can't let it go and there's something so annoying and yet so understandable about it because i think we all have those things that we obsess over but his is just such a joke because it's like look at where you are man like please take it in (laughs) yeah yeah well and then i don't know do we want to talk about the end of their plot line or wait well let's talk about rachel because i have a lot of thoughts about rachel (laughs) So Rachel, I think initially, again, you think she's a sympathetic character because Mm -hmm. she's in this, she, uh, you know, starts dating this guy, gets married to him very quickly. He's very wealthy and you feel bad that she's in this relationship. And especially once uh, his mother shows up (laughs) on the vacation, you're like, oh my gosh, this poor girl. Like, not only does she have to deal with the husband being obsessed with this hotel room, but now the mother is there and it's just like throwing the whole vibe off and no one seems to care what like her thoughts or opinions are on anything. But then you also kind of realize that she's not that good at her job. She, (laughs) she sort of like, doesn't really have any, like she, she wants to be doing something. She doesn't want to be a trophy wife, but then at the same time, she doesn't really like have anything particular that Mm -hmm. she does want to do. So she's just kind of like aimless there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I think one of the more interesting scenes is that she, encounters the family who we'll be talking about later but um 
who the wife is sort of this lean in figure runs some sort of, I think search engine company, they said. Um, so ultra wealthy, ultra powerful, um, female CEO type. And Rachel goes up to her and is like, Oh my gosh, like I'm a big fan and asks for advice because she's starting to feel panicked about losing herself to a dominant husband like that. She'll, Mm -hmm. she'll give up a lot of her life and dreams because his are just louder and more important. And so there's this moment where you're like, Oh yeah, like girl boss, like they're getting together. They're chatting about like the patriarchy, like, yes, give the advice. But then it comes out that, um, is it Mossbacker? Mossbacker? Yeah, Mossbacker. Yeah. She is like, oh, you wrote that piece about me for whatever article she works for. And I hated it. And like that really traumatizes Rachel. Like she, to me, that's where it all changes for her, where she's like, oh, like I was just asking for advice on how to like matter in my relationship. But now I'm like, do I even have worth? Like, what am I? Like, am I bad at my job? Like, if I'm bad at my job do I have any dreams left and it's sort of interesting to watch her kind of fall apart but then when she confronts her husband it's not really about his douchebaggery it's this idea that she's like oh I'm gonna lose myself but she has no real sense of self and right. so it's like frustrating to watch her try and put it into words knowing that she's just waiting for someone to tell her what she's doing is right. Yeah. She doesn't have like a destination. He's trying to sort of give her one. She doesn't want it, but then she doesn't know what her, like what the replacement is. And so then at the end of the series, she tells him that she wants a divorce. She gets ready to leave him. And then ultimately decides that she's going to stay with him. And I think when that happened, I was sort of like gutted for her initially because I thought like, no, like I was rooting for you to get out of this negative thought pattern. But then you kind of realize that she's actually also a privileged person in a lot of ways. Like she doesn't, it makes total sense that she would be with him. She doesn't have like any drive separate from him and he's going to like make these decisions for her. Mm -hmm. So it's sad on one hand, but it's also like, oh, well, obviously, and obviously you're going to do this and take these advantages mm-hmm. and then turn into probably the same type of person that him and his mom are. <laughs> yeah. Just because he has, she, she has nothing else. Yeah. She just, she just chose this path of least resistance. Right. Felt yeah. Like. She just wanted she couldn't imagine a world where her her comfort was worth the sacrifice. Like, right. And that's just anyone in this social climbing stratosphere we've created is like right. this gamble of like, well, is it worth it? Because the only end goal any of us really have in mind deep down is money, power, stability, like success. And mm-hmm. technically she's adjacent to that and thus uh, cozy in it. And I think the interesting thing about her final episode is she has a run-in with Belinda, who she's never really talked to before. But Belinda, in an act of, you know, always giving, always serving, is like, oh, if you need me, um, we can talk. And they end up talking. And Rachel's like asking her, this stranger, to tell her what to do. And Belinda finally has enough and is like, I'm out and leaves her there. And mm-hmm. instantly you're like, oh, well, without someone motivating Rachel to do something, 
she's just gonna go to the next most um powerful like uh, commanding presence which is her husband and so she just shows up at the airport and she's like i'll be better and it's like well but that's also again speaks to privilege because the only people who have that option are privileged people like if you're not a privileged person you don't have a path of least resistance sort of option that ends well in front of you like you have to be fighting the whole time because there's not like nobody's there giving you things yeah yeah it was interesting to see how instead of being like motivated by ton um Mrs. Mockbacher being like, wow, I hated that piece. That was a hit piece. You should do better. She wasn't like, oh, yeah, I should do better. I should write this. I should try this. Instead, she's like, should I get into like, um, <laughs> what is it? Uh, she's like, should I just become work in nonprofit? Like, is that a good goal for me? Yeah, she's <laughs> like, someone give me a goal. Switch. And yeah, she's just constantly trying to find she went to Miss Mossbacker to have her tell her she's a good writer and that her dreams will come true. It didn't work. She went to Belinda to have her tell her like, oh, you should leave him. He's not worth it. And it didn't work. And so she just spent this whole week spinning out for no reason just to end up exactly where she started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so then do you want to talk about the third family? Yes. The Mossbachers. Uh, yeah, so like you said, they are a, uh, it's like a wealthy CEO woman, her husband, who seems to not really have much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then their two children, a daughter who is very like woke and uh, is there with her college friend and then a son who's sort of like dorky and aimless and doesn't really have much going on with him (laughs) and doesn't really have it seems like good connections with any of his three family members yeah yeah olivia and um paul no olivia and i can't even remember the son's name (laughs) i can't either um (sighs) anyways it's uh their whole thing. Paula is, that, is the friend. Paula's the friend. I think the the son is Quinn. Quinn, yes. So Olivia Quinn, and then you have um, the parents played by Steve Zahn and Connie Britton. Connie Britton. And Connie Britton is so good. The yes. her like her like constantly rubbing lotion on her hands and stuff. <laughs> I was like, this is the most mom thing ever. Like this is such like wealthy white mom to just always be like putting more lotion on just rearranging the hotel for no Mm -hmm. reason always having to like clean up around the hotel Mm -hmm. even though it's like you're on vacation like just calm down yes Mm -hmm. always having to be busy yeah it was interesting to watch them again because you can see these human elements and you're like you know a a lot of it is that this mom is the punching bag and she gives a speech finally where she's like you don't have to poke at me just because you need someone to hate and it's like yes like go off like you're being mistreated by your children and your husband and like you deserve to stand up for yourself but then she'll go on these spiels about how the white man is kind of the most um abused at this point in history and like you should have some grace for white men and and then there's talk about like what what is privilege and she's the one who gets mad at the article that dared to suggest that she didn't get to where she was by her own hard work but that there was some sort of other thing motivating it and um she's very defensive about 
where she is in her social structure because in her mind, as a woman, she did have to fight the patriarchy to get to where she was. And so now why can't she enjoy it without feeling guilty? And then you have the classic um, mother-daughter tension of your daughter not wanting to be anything like you, but inevitably turning into you with Olivia, who's this woke, liberal, like liberal talking, liberal leaning girl with her token black friend um, who's constantly rolling her eyes at her parents saying that they're racist, like homophobic, privileged, whatever. And watching that interaction was always one of my favorites. Like whenever they sat down for dinner and I knew they were going to have some sort of conversation. Oh, their conversations (laughs) were amazing. The writing on this show is so good. And it was written by um, uh, Mike um, White, who has written other things before, but actually was also on a season of Survivor recently, um, (laughs) which is a wild plot line. So I knew him from that and a couple seasons of Amazing Race. And I sort of found him annoying on those shows. But... (laughs) I liked him on this. It's a weird dynamic though, because on Survivor, like he is a successful movie producer who I think's father is also wealthy. So the whole thing about him on Survivor was like, hey, like no one is ever going to vote to give me the million dollars because I'm already way more wealthy than the rest of you. Mm -hmm. So you should just keep me around because I'm not going to win. So it was this whole like wealth disparity that kept coming up on that show. And then it's funny then for white Lotus where he's writing this stuff that is so pointedly against wealthy people, but it's like, you are also like you are writing against your demographics, which I thought was interesting. Um, Yeah. He's, he was in an interview and he talked about that and sort of like, he was really honest about it. He's like, yeah, some people will be upset by this. Like I'm not writing to, I don't know. It was was interesting hearing him talk about like, I make art, like that's all I know to do. And so I wanted to make art that matters without feeling like I'm not being honest. And he was able to write a lot of these characters because he's been in a lot of these Mm -hmm. situations. And I think it's easy to criticize like who gets power and who gets like, put in the tape put at the table in the first place and it's usually you know wealthy white dudes and so yeah it's unfortunate that there's another show proving that but um he's also doing a good job of highlighting that at the same in the same breath Hmm. yeah yeah i thought he did a nice job of like sort of punching up as much as he could or i guess like punching around him rather than yeah taking other means of comedy um with this family, there's, I feel like a couple of different plot lines. The dad, the dad is a weird character <laughs> who I didn't fully understand because at first you have this plot where he thinks he might have cancer, but then he doesn't. Then there's a plot line where he finds out that his dad was actually gay and died of AIDS and not of cancer. And then you realize that at one point he cheated on his wife and had to buy her like these expensive bracelets, probably like with her money in order to win it back. Then he's like trying to bond with his son, but like that sort of isn't working. I really wasn't sure what his character, like what the point of his character was. That was the one part of the show where I was, I felt like a little lost. Like he he was important to plot points and I thought that he facilitated some interesting conversations, but I was sort of like, I don't understand your arc as well as I understand everyone else's. I think it was sort of this idea that 
you know, there's so much in here about class and social climbers and, and the wealth and privilege. And I feel like he was representing this idea we have of the, (laughs) of the spineless or dickless white man who has Mm -hmm. sacrificed his own masculinity to maintain his position of privilege because now he has to do it in the circle of, you know, his wife or, Mm-hmm. Or playing to these woke politics. And I kind of liked it because, again, it wasn't your traditional macho white dude hating on everyone, pretty racist, pretty sexist type. He was technically like a n- nice guy. Like, if you lined these people up from bad, <laughs> from like awful to okay, I think he'd be pretty close to the top of mm-hmm. okay by the end of this. Mm-hmm. And he had some like, sleeper ideas that came to light at some of these dinner conversations, but he wasn't ever like aggressive about it. Like he wasn't like putting his daughter down or putting his wife down. Like he just kind of seemed like this schmuck who was trying to figure out where he, where he stood in the social hierarchy. And if he could man up, so to speak Mm -hmm. and take back what was his, which was his relationship with his wife, which ironically had they came to the island they weren't doing great like he they clearly didn't have a great sexual relationship he went on this whole sh- really disturbing spiel about what married sex is like yeah and um then he pretended to be a monkey <laughs> yeah. but then what ultimately brings them together is his ability to play like macho man when he saves his wife from a would-be attacker and that refuels their passion for one another because, again, there's just this idea, at least how I read it, is that mm-hmm. there's this need for masculinity in a relationship if you're if you're going to be with a strong woman still, right? Like there needs mm-hmm. to be something aggro there <laughs> for the mm-hmm. relationship to balance out, which is unfortunate, but... Yeah, yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I, I do. Um, so then we also have the daughters mm-hmm. or the daughter mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she was fascinating. She was like my, her and Paula were my favorite characters to watch. Like any scenes with them were just incredible because they just had these like icy teenage stares <laughs> that they would just give people and they would just rip people to shreds. <laughs> and it was so much fun to watch. But then you realize that, uh, that, maybe they're not as good of friends as you think they are. And Mm -hmm. that Olivia is sort of just like using Paula. Yeah. As sort of like a token black friend and doesn't really care about her that much. And so Paula kind of comes up with this plan to get back at the family by having her kind of like vacation boyfriend who is a native Hawaiian break into the family's room and steal these expensive bracelets from the Mossbacher's safe and of Mm -hmm. course this plan goes poorly and they find out that it was this guy and he loses his job and olivia's smart enough to realize that it was paula who set all of this up and sort of confronts her and then in like a really i think interesting choice when paula is sort of like like olivia drags Paula to her lowest and then sort of turns around and confronts her in a way that I think a lot of people who are 
privilege do in saying like, look, see, I am a good person. I'm mm-hmm. helping you. Like I'm, I'm stepping on your throat, but I'm also like the only person who can help you stand up a little bit if I want to. Mm-hmm. Like you can't get up by yourself, but I can help you not to get up to the same point as me, but to get up a little bit higher than some of these other schmoes. And yeah. I just thought it was such like a poignant message, especially when they're sort of in the bed at the end and she like reaches her arm around her. I was like, ugh, this is, this is masterful writing. Yeah. Paula, 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 Paula. I had high hopes for Paula and then she just became probably the worst human in the show. (laughs) Well, we had high hopes for everyone on the show and they all turned out bad. (laughs) I mean, the thing about Paula is that, yeah, she's this woke, you know, social justice obviously she has skin in the game you know she's a person of color she's the only one willing to deal with the um colonialism like oppressive system of the existence of this resort in hawaii that depends on not even depends that abuses hawaiian culture and staff to you know do their dance and uh do their luau for the white folk and so Paula sort of is examining that through a new lens where she clearly has some sort of um, financial security or privilege or a life that she's not willing to give up for this romance. Like she clearly has stuff going for her back home, whether that's her own wealthy family or just this education, like friendship, whatever she's built for herself. But she decides that her heroic move will be giving reparations to this family through no action of her own. She sends this guy to do the dirty work thinking it's a gift she's giving him. And then when things immediately start to seem like it's not going to go well, she doesn't try to warn him, doesn't try to get off the boat to stop him. There's no action from that point forward. She just freezes. And I think it is sort of interesting because it seemed to mirror this conversation they had had the night before where Nicole, the mom, flippantly was like, activists don't want to dismantle the systems of exploitation. They just want a better seat at the table. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a very true sentiment and proven through almost every character in the show. But especially with Paula, who, who, you know, thought she wanted to break down, break down the tyrannical white family and the white oppressive hotel and whatever and and give money back to the people. But when things started to get messy, she's like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't be associated with this because then I'll lose what position I have with this family. I'll lose what privilege I have with this family. And there was no willingness to really engage with the mess she created. She just completely disconnects. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she even says words after that point. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. She just kind of like goes into a catatonic state. <laughs> yeah. She just freezes and lets it all unfold. And we never see Kai, the boyfriend, again. He he does the robbery that goes wrong, gets hit, beat up by Mossbacker, and then leaves. And then we just hear through the grapevine that, oh, yeah, he was caught. Oh, yeah, he, he'll be in trouble. Like, oh, yeah, it's taken care of. And that's his whole life, like, down the drain because of this girl who will not take any responsibility for the situation. Even though she's reading, you know, Discourse on Colonialism, she's reading Nietzsche. She's, like, so woke. And yet she herself is unwilling to break the system down because it's mm-hmm. the only thing she knows. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-mm-mm. Paula, Paula, Paula. <laughs> I love everyone's book choices in this show is just so <laughs> good. That the that the wife is reading Elena Ferrante, that the yes. douchey guy is reading Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> yes. Like it just all the book choices are fantastic. Yeah. I was obsessed. Yeah. Um yeah, and then yeah, then we get to the end and you realize that it's actually the hotel manager who goes into the douchey guy's room and gets stabbed with a pineapple knife after taking a dump in his suitcase, <laughs> which is such a great scene. Um <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, and then all the and then all the rich people leave and, you know, don't ever think about this again. Well, and- but they do. They do think about it again. It's a story to them. It's like, oh yeah, this is the time we almost got robbed. Like LOL, yes. my husband my husband saved me. It was such a turn on. Like it becomes an anecdote. Like, oh my gosh, we were at that hotel where that person died. And I think that's like an important layer to this is that these people are so unfazed they can't see their own like actions in how things unfolded. It just is a story to tell as they continue about their lives and continue up their food chain and continue to, you know, suppress whatever gets in their way. Well, except for Quinn, who except stays behind and becomes a, a canoe yeah. man. No, Quinn was interesting because he's, he's the only character who really engages with the island, so to speak. He's, he's happy to give up, eventually happy to give up his tokens of privilege, his phone, his, his hotel room, and he sleeps on the beach and is able to see with wonder, like, you know, the, the whale, like rising out of the ocean, the canoes, like connecting with the people of the land. And he does finally feel this motivation that it's like, what is the life I left behind? It didn't feel anything like this. But I think it's interesting that the final images of the show are, yes, you see Shane get back together with Rachel. Yes, you see the Mossbackers get on the plane, like Olivia and Paula are friends again, sort of. And then Quinn runs away and it's like this freeing moment, but it's intercut with Belinda, the last of the helping staff left, who's right back where she started, waving to the next crowd of guests on the dock, just Mm -hmm. putting her game face on. And yet it's Quinn who sacrificed nothing, who lost nothing, who gets to literally ride off into the sunset in his canoe and feels so woke and recharged and elevated from the world which he had no real struggle leaving even as those who want to are stuck peddling the same the same game Mm -hmm. yeah which was such a profound image and like only somebody who like had everything could go and be like oh yeah i'm just gonna like go do yes um canoeing and also (laughs) the thing it's like he has the whole system waiting for him when he comes back so it's like he can leave everything but it's not like he's actually leaving everything because everything's right there waiting for him if he if he just like makes a phone call yeah um or gets tired and sunburned or feels like it wasn't the journey he thought it would be it's like oh well pick up try somewhere else it's like (laughs) it's a very frustrating ending but it does feel very true to life Ugh, I love this show so much and I'm sort of like 
I'm frustrated because it came out, I feel like, in a really bad time Emmy-wise because it's not going to be up for this year's Emmys and then it's going to have to wait a whole year for next year's Emmys. And my thought was, oh, well, but it will probably win a bunch of Golden Globes, but it won't win a bunch of Golden Globes because those aren't (laughs) happening this year. So I'm like, damn it, this show that's so good and it's definitely going to be overlooked more than it I don't know. I think there were really great performances and writing and it was so beautiful, like beautifully shot, orchestrated, like everything about it worked. And then on top of that, it kind of felt like it was hitting the same notes that something like Parasite did where everyone was like watching it and mesmerized by it and then having to examine like, oh, wait, what is this actually saying? What does it actually mean? And I think we're so used to the bad guy shows like Succession. We're so used to having people we actively hate and understanding that they're evil. They're either born evil and you, or you know the exact moment where they became evil. But here instead, you're just watching a vacation and realizing that it's like, oh, no, like we turn bad when we keep choosing our own comfort over doing anything good or right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which was well. Great. <laughs> I so maybe it will. I mean, it has to beat out um, American Crime Story yeah. uh, impeachment. The Monica I'm Lewinsky. For that. I mean, oh, I am too. <laughs> I I don't know a lot of details about that story. I mean, a lot of criticisms is that it's like, why is this worthy of a whole news cycle? It wasn't then, which I'm like, oh, I guess that's true. But isn't that sort of the point? It's like examining the culture of the time. Well, and it was a whole bunch of news cycles, yeah. even if it wasn't supposed to be. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I can't wait for that show. Um, but next week we're talking about Free Guy, the, yes. the uh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I always get Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling mixed up. Ryan Reynolds movie. <laughs> I'm excited, and Jodie Comer is in it. I think it looks like it's going to be fun. I hate every trailer I see, but everyone's talking about how good it is. So I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, give it a chance. (laughs) And there's not much else coming out, so it's that or that movie with Hugh Jackman, which I feel like is destined to be terrible. So, yeah, well, uh, we'll we'll be back, and we have a new Patreon episode coming out. TBD, what that is about? (laughs) We're any ideas? Send us an email. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're at psurong at gmail dot com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at psurong as well always great to see reviews come in on apple podcasts um lots of ways to connect is the point yeah and you can buy our merch so you can wear it on your next hawaiian vacation (laughs) yes spread the good word but we'll see you guys next week bye